So uh, I've called this series The Runaway Returns. Basically, the story of Philemon is that a slave named Onesimus, owned by Philemon, ran away, took off, split town. Slave ran to Rome, where in God's providence he met the Apostle Paul. And he heard the gospel. And he was saved by the grace of God. And the slave came back to his owner, Philemon, sent back with this letter from Paul. And the end result is that the slave was forgiven. That's the short version. Paul wrote this letter around A.D. 60 to 61, near the end of his second imprisonment in Rome. He wrote it at the same time as Ephesians and Colossians. Philemon is closely linked to Paul's letter to the Colossians. It was carried to Colossae by Onesimus and Tychicus, who also brought the letter to the Ephesians on the same trip from Rome. Now you could call Philemon the P.S., of Colossians. It's Paul's appeal to Philemon to forgive Onesimus, to take him back, not as a slave, but as a brother. And Paul reminds him of his authority as, a, as an apostle, but he appeals to him in love. Now, before we go any further in Philemon, we've got to understand a few things about slavery in the ancient Greco-Roman world. It's helpful to understand some things about slavery in order to view Paul's letter to Philemon in the proper perspective. Slavery in the first century was quite different than slavery in early American history. For one thing, Roman slaves were either taken as prisoners of war or they sold themselves into slavery and became bond servants. Now, It is true that masters had absolute power over their slaves. But they generally showed them respect. It was very unlike the American South in the days of Lincoln. But they often treated them with human dignity. And though they could beat them, it doesn't seem that it was as regular of a practice as it was in America. Slaves could marry. They could accumulate wealth. They could purchase their own freedom. They could run a business. And under Roman law, usually they would be set free by age 30. They were often well-educated. And it should be noted, though, that the revolt led by Spartacus in 73 B.C. caused Rome to treat Western slaves very harshly. In fact, uh, Eastern slaves enjoyed much greater freedom. But Paul is writing from the viewpoint of one who knew well the Old Testament teaching, the Jewish practice as regards to slavery, as well as how it functioned in the Gentile world. So he understood the context. Now it was um, an accepted part. Slavery was an accepted part of the social and economic structure of the society. It, It was taken for granted in ancient society. Uh, It was recognized under the law of Moses, and it was carefully guarded against abuses. Uh, A Jewish slave could not be held for more than six years. 
A Jew could sell himself into slavery, but had to be released after 15 years. Now, if a slave wanted to remain a slave voluntarily for life, there were strict procedures that had to be followed in order for that to take place. Slaves who had been injured by their masters could be set free. Uh, the the, 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 The murder of a slave was punishable by death. Now, many people sold themselves into slavery to better themselves, to raise their status, in fact. It's a lot different than what we think of in terms of slavery from our American past. It's estimated that over a third of the citizens, of the people living in Rome were slaves. And it's true that a slave was, was virtually powerless, legally speaking. But if he was part of an urban household, his status was higher than the lowest class in society. He had physical security in his position. He had job security. He could save money towards what was called a a peculium. It was an amount of money that he would save up to buy his own freedom. Uh, Slaves were uh, holding jobs such as doctor, nurse, accountants, clerks, teachers, uh, advisors, musicians, artists. A poor free man had no job security. So he might sell himself into slavery to raise his status. Now, upon gaining freedom, he would give, be given his citizenship. A capable slave would be given an excellent education and be trusted with very important responsibilities, such as um, Galatians 3.24 speaks of a, a child tutor. Often they were uh, trusted slaves. The prospect of, of uh, gaining what was called manumission, which was legal release, was the expectation of many first century slaves. All right? So that's the context with slaves. But here in Philemon, we're dealing with a runaway slave. A slave who would run away. What do you do with that? Well, well runaway slaves were a whole other deal. They were treated very severely under Roman law. Slave catchers went looking for them. That could be your job. You could be, well, what do you do? I'm a slave catcher. You know, kind of a bounty hunter type of a person. But owners of slaves were giving a lot of leeway in punishing uh, returning fugitives. They could kill them. They could brand their forehead with an F, standing for uh, fugitivus, fugitive. Um, if a master was a Roman citizen, the law required a penalty to be paid to him by anyone who would harbor a runaway slave. The um, lost wages or services during the slave's absence would have to be paid by the person that had harbored them and hid them. But if the master wasn't a Roman citizen, then someone like Paul, who was a Roman citizen, wasn't bound by law to even return a slave that came to him for refuge. Now, we don't know if that's the case with what happened with Onesimus. But the thing to remember, too, as we look at Philemon, is that for believers, things are different. There's a different standard under the grace of God. Uh, The the New Testament uh, insists upon uh, genuine Christian ethics uh, on the part of both slaves and, and owners of slaves, slave or free, because they both answer to Jesus. And they both are equal members of the body of Christ. 
In Christ there is no slave, there is no free. It's a point that Paul makes in, in Colossians, the letter that was delivered at the same time as Philemon. So let's talk about the main point of Philemon. The main point of Philemon is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Something we all need and we all find it hard to do. What's forgiveness? The Greek word is uh, charizomai. It it is attached to the the Greek word for grace, charis. It comes from that word. And it means to do someone a favor. It means to do do good towards someone. To be kind to them. uh, To be gracious towards them. To give them something willingly as a gift. To grant forgiveness. To grant pardon. To grant release from a debt. So when you forgive someone, you are letting their sin be taken away by grace. Forgiveness is that release from debt. It is a release from the burden of sin. You assess the debt. You see what was done. And then you assume that debt. And you free the person from all claims due to what they did. All claims against them due to what they did are dropped. They're gone. The chains are gone. So what Paul is asking Philemon to do is model redemption. To remodel uh, in a social context this idea of release from a debt. We see the the principle of forgiveness in in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32. Ephesians, a letter that was also carried from Rome at the same time as Philemon. Ephesians 4.32 says it says be kind to each other be kind to each other tender hearted forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you that's, that's the idea behind Philemon forgive each other just as Jesus has forgiven you that's a tall order isn't it but that's the, the, uh, that's the reason. Because we've been forgiven by Jesus, we are then enabled to be forgivers of other people. So let's pick it up in verse 1. Philemon, verse 1. Paul opens Philemon, which is his most personal letter, with a greeting, but not just to Philemon, but to Philemon, Aphia, and Archippus, as well as the church that meets in their house. Verse 1 says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. This is uh, the only letter of Paul where in the opening greeting, he calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Prisoner of Jesus. He doesn't uh, choose to use his usual title, apostle. It's probably too formal or you know, too official for this personal note that he writes, this appeal that he is making. But he calls himself a prisoner. Not merely in the sense that every believer has been captured by Christ's love and therefore is a prisoner of Jesus. Because Paul never used this term when he was a free man. He uses it because he was literally confined at the time that he was writing. He was under house arrest in Rome. And Timothy. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus, and Timothy, our brother which could lead some to believe that Paul and Timothy somehow wrote this together. That's not the case. This is a courtesy name check. 
A courtesy name check of Timothy, since Timothy was with him at the time. But Paul is the sole writer of this letter. And he addresses the letter to Philemon and calls him a beloved brother and a fellow worker. Now Philemon had been led to faith in Christ several years earlier before by Paul. Probably during Paul's ministry in Ephesus. He had become a prominent member of the church in Colossae. He had to be wealthy because he had a house big enough to house the church there in Colossae. He was active in serving the Lord, and he owned at least one slave, Onesimus. So verse 2 says, To Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, to all of you, grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The same greeting he gives to the Colossian church. Now Aphia, who's that? Aphia was most likely Philemon's wife. Archippus was most likely their son. The mention of the church uh, that met in Philemon's house reflects the early Christian uh, existence of house churches before the rise of separate church buildings. And so including uh, the church in these greetings indicates that the, the issues discussed in this letter, this short letter, would be relevant to the whole church. Everybody would need to know about this. Why? Well, they all met in his house. This was, uh, and, and Onesimus was part of his household, and Onesimus had run away. I, everybody knew that. They knew the guy had, had skipped town. They knew he was, was gone, and, and now he's back. They needed to know the situation. They needed to know the details, and they were expected to read this letter, which would also provide some built-in accountability for Philemon to do what he was being asked to do. Everyone was going to know what, what Paul had asked him to do. So they all knew, and they needed to know about Onesimus' status because they knew he was gone, and now he's back. Now Philemon is the only letter of Paul that deals with an entirely private matter. This is a, a, a note to, to Philemon, but he adds some people to it. Now there are other letters that Paul wrote that are addressed to individuals. You know, you've got Timothy and Titus. First and Second Timothy and Titus, but, in, but they include topics that would require church action. But here, even while Philemon is dealing with a private matter, it becomes public due to the nature of, of the crime, due to the nature of, of Philemon's position in the church and what Onesimus had done. So it did become a, a, a public matter, and so his wife and his son would know, and also the church that meets in their house. So what Paul does next is he gives this um, pretty much what is customary of his address. Uh, and when he begins a letter, he thanks, he gives thanks for the people he's writing to, and then he prays for them. And in verses 4 through 7, we see that. In verse 4, he says, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. Verses 4 through 7 are really a portrait of Philemon, of his heart, of a heart that forgives. If you want to know about a heart that forgives, just look at Philemon and look at this portrait. Verse 4, Paul says he always thanked God for him every time he prayed for him. Because of the kind of man that Philemon was. He was already living and doing what he was going to be asked to do. 
And so he refers in verse 5 to his faith in Christ. He's heard of his love and the faith which he has toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. He heard of his faith. Now go with me to Colossians, the, the, the companion letter to Philemon. And look at, ver- look at chapter 1, verse 13 with me. This is the letter. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I sometimes wonder, did, uh, was there a little note on top of the letter to Philemon that said, don't open until you read Colossians? You know, I don't know. But, but he was going to read this, whether he read it first or, or later. In verse 13, Colossians 1 says this, that he... God, in Christ, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Philemon was the type of person that knew where he had come from. He had come to faith in Christ. He had received forgiveness of sins. He had been rescued from the domain of darkness. He had been transferred into the kingdom of of Jesus Christ. And in that transaction is redemption, which is the forgiveness of sins. His sins have been forgiven. See, the first thing that I think we see about Philemon that shows the heart of forgiveness is that it's a heart that is broken due to its own sin due to its own sinfulness, and overwhelmed by the, the, the sheer magnitude of God's grace that gets showered upon us in Christ. God's extreme and abundant grace that he, that he lavishes upon us, the Scriptures tell us. The goodness of God that is showered upon life. See, humility and brokenness are required come to Christ you don't come to God with a proud heart you don't come to God and say I can do this myself you come to Christ and say I'm unable to do this on my own I know that you are a holy God and that I am a sinful human that can't save themselves and can't earn their way to heaven and can't make it in life unless someone stands in for me And you realize that Jesus stood in for you at the cross and took upon himself the entire punishment that you deserved, substituted himself in your place. And then by faith, as God draws you to himself by his grace, you receive forgiveness, release of the debt of sin that you owed to God. See, Philemon was well aware of that. Paul had heard of his faith. In the Lord Jesus. See, the opposite is the proud and unforgiving heart. Where you say, I forgive you, but I will never forget. I forgive you, but I will never forget. I forgive you in my magnitude of, uh, of grace. I, I forgive you, but I will remember what you did every time I see you. And I will allow that flavor of what you did to me to to flavor every interaction I have with you. And I will continue to relate to you on the basis of what you did. You may think that's forgiveness. 
But it is not. It is rooted in hatred. It is rooted in, in, in unlove. What if God dealt with us that way? What if God says, hey, by the way, I forgive you, but I'm going to hold it against you every day of your life. It's not forgiveness. And you may say, well, you can't expect me to forgive like God did. He's God, I'm not. I'll point you back to Ephesians 4.32. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. See, the person with a heart ready to forgive doesn't judge because they know they've been forgiven. They know the condition of their own heart. And they know they need the, the continual cleansing on a daily basis because they continue to sin. They're released from the power and the penalty of sin, but while here on earth, they're still going to make choices that are wrong and that displease God. And they need to go to God for forgiveness. Psalm 51 tells us that God does not despise the broken and contrite heart. So we know something about Philemon. He had a broken heart because of his own sin. And so his faith in the Lord Jesus could be evidenced. There's something else about the heart of forgiveness. In fact, go back to Colossians with me. We're going to go to Colossians a couple times this morning. Colossians chapter 1, again, verse 21. Colossians 1.21. Again, this letter that that Philemon was going to read, maybe he had already read it before he read this appeal from Paul, but verse 21 says, you were formerly alienated. You were hostile in your mind. Engaged in evil deeds. Verse 22 says, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. An entire change had taken place. Anyone who is outside of Christ is alienated from God and hostile in mind toward God and engaged in evil deeds. But once you come to know Jesus, you are, you are reconciled. You are being made by God holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Not your righteousness, Christ's righteousness. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. See, the heart of forgiveness that also was in Philemon was one that was free. He had a free heart. He'd been released. Released from all harmful influences. Released to be a releaser of all debts, public and private. Look at a, a, a dollar bill later on today. And what does it say? This note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. But in Christ, the love and mercy and forgiveness and grace that get showered upon us covers us and releases us from all debts, public and private. See, Paul refers to his love in verse 5. I hear of your love and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. It's really the idea of, I heard of your faith in Jesus and the love that you have for Jesus and for all the people, all the believers. He showed that love for all the believers. He had a reputation. He had a reputation for being loving. See, the unforgiving heart lacks love. 
See, unforgiveness gives Satan an opportunity. Gives Satan an opportunity to, to weasel in and, 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 and it opens the door for a foothold to be created. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Don't give the devil an opportunity. When you do that, it gives the devil an opportunity. What are we often angry about? What people did to us and what we do not want to let go. I got a hard time letting things go. You've got a hard time letting things go. We've all got a hard time letting things go. But we're free in Christ. God has let it go. He no longer relates to us on the basis of our sin. He relates to us on the basis of Christ's righteousness. That is good news for us. Good news that releases us to be free than to be releasers of others and their debts. See, unforgiveness is a lack of love for other people. And when you refuse to forgive, you allow Satan to get a chance to gain ground in your life. Paul knew that Philemon lived what he believed. See, the heart that's free in Christ is free to love God and free to love others. And that leads to a third thing about the heart of forgiveness that we see right here in these first few verses of Philemon. The heart of forgiveness is also a heart that is generous. Generous. They've received good from God and is ready, willing, and able to give the same to others. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. Therefore, if, or or literally since you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. See, those are the things that keep us from being able to give to other people the good that God has given to us. See, freely Philemon had received, and freely he gave, just as Jesus said. It says uh, in verse 7 there in Colossians 3 that you used to live like that. You used to live in those things, but now, verse 8, put them all aside. Anger, wrath, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Don't lie to each other. You laid aside the old self with your with old practices, evil practices. But you have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who, who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction. And now, when you think about the generosity that Paul was appealing to, that he knew that was in Philemon. He's getting down to the main point here in Colossians. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, between circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man. No distinction between a slave and a free man. Christ is all and in all. Uh, the, un, 
the unforgiving heart can't give. Can't give what God has given. It becomes hard. It becomes bitter. It's allowed a root of bitterness to spring up, causing trouble that many are, be, are defiled by, as Hebrews twelve fifteen tells us. The more you dwell on a certain offense, the more it flavors your thinking, the more bitter you become. The more hardened you become towards the person. See, bitterness is sin and it infects. It infects your relationship with God. It infects your relationship with others. And causes you not to be able to be generous with what God has given you in the terms of grace and forgiveness. But the heart of forgiveness is the heart that is ready to be generous with the forgiveness they've been given and they're ready to forgive. Think about um, uh, Joseph in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 50. Earlier on in the book, his brothers had done him wrong. Left him for dead. Sold him as a slave. And God in his providence brought him up out of the pit. Brought him to a place he never could have dreamed. Became the second ruler next to Pharaoh in all of Egypt. And his brothers... uh, making those dreams come true that he had. They, they came and bowed down to him. They didn't know who they were bowing down to. At one point, Joseph uh, revealed himself to his brothers. Uh, it rocked him to the core of his being. Tore him up. He wept. He knew what he was going to do. He toyed with him for a while. Toyed with them for a while. But they came to him at one point and they said, Hey, by the way, Joseph, Our dad, before he died, he told us to tell you something. He told us to tell you to forgive us. That's a lie. Because see, they said to themselves, what if Joseph holds it against us? What if he's like us? (laughs) He's our brother, you know. What if he holds what we did against us and he either kills us or makes life really hard for us? So they concocted this plan to tell him that, hey, daddy says, forgive us. You know what, you know what uh, Joseph's answer was? I'm not in God's place. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. So your lives would be saved and many lives would be saved. He freely forgave them. He could be generous. He wasn't harboring bitterness. So you make a decision to do something long before the situation arises. That's true in a lot of places. You're single and you want to be pure. You decide long before you get in the tempting situation that you will, be, you will decide to be, stay pure. You want to not steal from people, then you, long before you ever get to a place where you're even tempted to steal, you say, I'm not going to steal. If you're going to be a person who chooses to forgive, you've got to choose beforehand that you will be a forgiving person before they punch you in the face before they take your stuff away, before they harm you in some way. If you wait till then, and all hell breaks loose, right? Anger, resentment. One moment you're thinking, praise you, Jesus, for forgiving me of all my sins, and the next you're thinking things about people. I can't say it right now. There are children present. You know, it's interesting, verse 6, back in Philemon, verse 6, if you look at the NIV, it looks like a prayer for Philemon to share his faith. Uh, NIV reads this way, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. 
Looks like an evangelism verse. It's not. What Paul is really asking, and, and versions like the New American Standard capture it better, he says, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. So you've got a context going on here. And the context is there's an appeal being made to Philemon to forgive his returned slave, the runaway that returned Onesimus. And so what Paul is really asking him is to understand the blessings that believers have in Christ. An understanding that would reveal that slavery and Christianity don't mix. He says, I pray that the fellowship, the koinonia of your faith, the faith that you share with us, may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing that's in you for Christ's sake. That God would deepen your understanding of every blessing that belongs to you in Christ. Now, as Philemon increasingly recognized the spiritual realities that Christ had provided in terms of salvation, he'd show a similar grace to undeserving Onesimus. You see, Paul's prayer was that Philemon's sense of fellowship would be large enough to include even Onesimus. It included everybody in the church that met in his house. But could it include this returned runaway? that had done him wrong, that had stolen money from him. Would his sense of fellowship be large enough to include Onesimus? Who does yours include or exclude? The heart of forgiveness is also a heart that refreshes other people. Look at verse 7. He says, I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. He was a blessing. He was a joy. He was an encouragement to be around. Hearts were refreshed as a result. There was a pattern built up. Philemon was exhibit A, a model of Christian character in his church. A leader by example. Instead of weighing people down with his issues, or his burdens, or his expectations. He refreshed the hearts of others. You know what that's like when your heart is refreshed. The heart is the seat of the emotions. Philemon helped people that were hurting, that were struggling, that were troubled, that were suffering. And refresh means to take a, it's a military term. It's the, it's the idea of an army resting. Uh, it's, it means taking a rest after hard work. But see, an unforgiving person drags you down. It hinders fellowship with God and others. But a forgiving person, oh, they're easy to be around. I love to be around people that are free because they don't burden you. You feel better after being with them, right? See, the heart of forgiveness is a heart that knows that it is forgiven. Forgiven. It's broken, it's free, it's generous, and it's refreshing, and it's, it's forgiven. And we've got to be honest with God today. We've got to be honest with God. You don't have it all together. I don't have it all together. We don't have it all together. We don't have to be in control about the whole thing. We, we're needy. Let's admit it before God. We have trouble forgiving. We like to hold things against people. We keep score. You need a touch from God. You sing, you pray, you read the word, but you still feel empty. 
Why? Maybe it's because you feel unforgiven for certain things. There are still things that you are holding against yourself that Jesus has forgiven. You cover it up with a smile, but the emptiness remains. And God wants to heal you and forgive you and cleanse you and free you and restore you. Give your heart to him. See, he will not reject you. The broken heart, he's not going to despise. People may. You will do something wrong to someone, and you might go to them and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And they just say, get lost. No, I won't do it. But God would never, never will he do that to us. And you may be beating yourself up year after year, day after day, moment after moment, thinking, I'm no good, I'm so bad, blah, blah, blah. You may feel unforgiven. Will you get in that mode? It's hard to forgive others. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I, I can't help but wonder about Philemon when this letter came to Paul, from Paul. Uh, I, I can't but wonder where was Onesimus while Philemon was reading this letter? See, he came with Tychicus, Tychicus and Onesimus. And I could, I could just see Tychicus saying, hey, uh, hey, O, you stay outside. <laughs> you know, you, um, you probably should wait outside while I bring this in. Let's see what happens. And he's waiting outside the door. Waiting outside to be forgiven. He'd already been forgiven by Jesus. All his debts had been removed. But he needed to go back and do what was right by Philemon. And he's waiting, wondering. Are you waiting to be forgiven? If it's by God, you have no problems. <laughs> you want it, you ask for it, you get it. He is ready to forgive you. He won't turn you aside. He won't be turned away. But are you in need of forgiveness from others? That's more tricky. <laughs> I think about Paul when he was a brand new baby Christian. And he goes to Jerusalem and he tries to associate with the disciples. And they want nothing to do with him. They couldn't forgive him for what he had done. They could not believe that he really had his heart changed by Jesus. And it wasn't until a guy named Barnabas son of encouragement, walked up and took hold of him. I put his arm around him and said, hey, everybody, gather around. Let me tell you about Paul. Let me tell you what happened in his life. It's true. You've got to believe it. And you see the very next verse, it says, he was moving about freely amongst the church. See, the heart of forgiveness is Jesus' heart. It's Jesus' heart. See, when he was on the cross dying for our sins, you remember what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. See, when you come to Jesus by faith and you believe in him, you accept his offer of full forgiveness, that a holy God is willing to accept sinful people based solely on the righteousness of Jesus. When you recognize what a great debt has been lifted off your shoulders, paid on your behalf, you're overwhelmed. 
And that's what enables you to be able to forgive others. But we forget. That's why we need Philemon. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we, we forget. We forget about how big a debt that you have paid on our behalf. And then we go and we hold somebody to something that is so much less that they did to us. Lord, free us from that. 